following is a Sunday sermon from Hope Presbyterian Church of New Braunfels, a community of people gathered to connect to God, to each other, and to their neighbors. For more information, visit www.hopemd.com. Well, uh, we're going to open our Bibles up to Luke chapter 9. And because we have a congregational meeting today, Derek gave me strict instructions to uh, have a shorter sermon this week, so you're in luck. I cut our passage down. We're just going to be looking at Luke chapter 9, verses 51 through 56 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, open them. You can follow along on the screen. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. This is God's word for us this morning. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God stands forever. Jesus is resolved to accomplish a mission. He's on a mission of mercy. But clearly, as some of the chuckles that I heard, show that the disciples need to learn to understand this mission. They need to understand the the mercy that Jesus is offering. So this morning, we're going to look first at Jesus' resolve. Then we're going to look at the rejection of the Samaritans. Then we're going to look at the wrath of the disciples. And yes, I know wrath starts with a W. And then we're going to look at the rebuke of Jesus. We have four points this morning, so it's going to be fast, Derek, I promise. Um, (laughs) Our passage, again, is actually a dramatic shift in the book of Luke. It's, It's kind of a transition, a turning point in the life of Jesus and in his ministry. The gospel of Luke can be divided into three major sections. We looked at the infancy narratives of Jesus, where they focus on the coming of Christ, and then the next few chapters focus on his early ministry. That's the first section, his coming and his ministry, his deeds. And the, the center question that's trying to be answered in that section is, who is Jesus? Who is this one who can calm the storms, who can, who can perform these miracles, who teaches with such authority? That's the question that's being answered. And in chapter 9, right before our passage today, Jesus asks his disciples that same question. Who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, the Christ of God. And everything changes from that moment. Jesus now is going in a different mission. He's on his mission. He's turning, right? We saw that in our passage today. He's turning his face to Jerusalem. And that's what the middle section of Luke is about. It's actually the largest section. It's the journey to Jerusalem. And then the final section is on the the passion of Jesus from chapter 19, verse 28, through the end of the book. And the journey of Jerusalem, like I said, it's the largest section. It runs from 951, our passage today, all the way to 1834, or maybe even like 1910 or 1927, whatever. You can see a lot of different scholars differ on where that actually stops and the next section picks up. But Jesus answered the question, who am I? And now he's trying to ask his disciples, what does it mean to follow him? What does it mean to be his disciples? What is he here to do? And so he's going to teach them about his mission of mercy. He's going to teach them about what it means to follow him, to be like him, because he's going to the cross. He's going to be 
resurrected, and he's going to leave them. And so he wants to prepare his disciples for when he's gone. And so this section is focusing it's not on the deeds of Jesus, but now on the words of the Savior. So we see a lot of sayings and parables in the section. So over the next few weeks, we're going to look at a lot of these sayings of Jesus, these teachings of Jesus on what it means to be his disciples. And we're going to join the disciples in Jesus on this road to Jerusalem. And it begins in verse 31. So let's look back there. It says, that it, and it said, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, right? So this phrase, the days drew near, it can actually be translated, and the days were fulfilled. I really like that better. The days were completed because it focuses on the fact that this isn't just like time passing, but this is actually towards a goal, towards a purpose in Jesus' life. There's, it's not just time passing, but the time is here. It's almost all upon us. There's this plan, there's this purpose that all this is moving towards. And it's God's great plan. It's God's great plan to redeem and to save a people for himself. The time is almost here, he says. The central events of Jesus' life are approaching. And he says the days were approaching, they were drawing near when he would be taken up. Now that's talking about his ascension ultimately, right? It's looking to the time when Jesus would be taken up into heaven to return to his father's right hand. But before his exaltation, we know there's a time of humiliation as well. He will suffer many things. He will be crucified. He'll be rejected by his people, but he will die and rise from the dead. So all those things are kind of summed up, right? His crucifixion, his his, uh, burial, his resurrection, his ascension, and his session, they're all kind of boiled up into this idea of him being taken up. And when this time approaches, Jesus said, it says that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. This is a, a Hebrew idiom, and it means that he's determined. He's decided. He's, he's resolved. He set his face to it. It means he's, he's really going to do it. He's taken this task, and he's going to accomplish it. He's going to fulfill his purpose in coming to earth. One of the great servant uh, of the Lord passages in Isaiah, in Isaiah 50, says this, The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. But the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know that I will not be put to shame. Jesus is embodying these words from Isaiah, right? He is the servant of the Lord, fulfilling that prophecy from so many hundreds of years ago. Jesus knew what his purpose was, and he has set his face towards it. He is on his way to accomplish the ministry of mercy. He knows he will suffer. He knows he is going to be, he's going to be scourged. He's going to be killed on the cross. And he knows ultimately the most important thing of all, he's going to take the wrath of God for our sins. And he sets his face. What courage there is for us in that, that when Jesus, knowing what was before him, he set his face and he was determined to face what was coming. He knows it. And he will not turn aside. He will not go back. In John chapter 12, Jesus said this. He said, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. That is the resolve of Jesus. 
He is going to the cross. He has set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem. Now, it's interesting. If you read this section, right, if you follow carefully along your diligent study of God's word, you'll notice that, you'll notice that Jesus doesn't actually go to Jerusalem yet, right? He's in Samaria in our story, but in a few chapters he'll be uh, back in Galilee. Then he'll be down in Bethany, which is just like a few miles from Jerusalem. Then he'll be back in Samaria again, back in Galilee, and then he will finally go to Jerusalem. So it's funny that he says he sets his face to Jerusalem. I heard a, a, great, a great analogy to this. It's like, it's like the biography of Abraham Lincoln that said, that's from Log Cabin to White House. When you hear that title for that, that biography for Abraham Lincoln, right, you know that it's not like Abraham Lincoln was a little boy and one day he steps out of his log cabin and he walks in a straight line and he shows up at the White House. You know that that's not what's going on in that story. It's a metaphor, right? From, we say, it's a metaphor for greatness comes from, from humble beginnings. And so when Jesus here is setting his face to Jerusalem, it's not that he's like immediately directly going to Jerusalem. But it's now he's focused on his purpose. He's focused on his mission. He will go the way of suffering. He will go the way of the cross. He will go the way of Jerusalem. And so on this journey, he comes first to a small village. And he sent, he sent messengers ahead. And this was kind of nice of Jesus, right? You can imagine with all the people following Jesus, that you know, he's got this crowd. He's got to prepare this small village for his coming, right? It's a lot to, to host even just a, a couple dozen people. We don't know how big Jesus' crowd of disciples is here, but maybe a maybe hundred. So that could easily overwhelm a small village. So Jesus is being very considerate. Hey, we're coming. And maybe, maybe they can prepare, like say, okay, at 3 o'clock, Jesus is going to speak in the open square, right? You can see what they're doing, right? They're preparing for Jesus' coming. But the key is that it's a Samaritan village. It's not just, a Jew, it's not just any village. It's not a Jewish village. It's a Samaritan village. You know, on his journey to Jerusalem, Jesus is taking a route that takes him through Samaria. This is very unusual for Jews, right? We read that and we're like, yeah, of course, okay, that makes sense. It's kind of south from Galilee. But for Jews, they would go out of their way to avoid Samaria. They would take a route that took them on the other side of the Jordan River down to the Dead Sea and then cross back over the Jordan River to go to Jerusalem because they hated the Samaritans. Jewish people saw them as unclean. They saw them as, as half-breeds, people who had rejected the true teaching of God's word and had corrupted it. They had built their own temple, their own form of worship. And so the Jews hated them. They despised them. But Jesus is breaking the norm. He's going to the Samaritans. He's purposefully going through Samaria because he's going to reach out to the Samaritans too. We see Jesus is constantly reaching out to the outsider, to the outcasts in the Gospel of Luke, right? He, he's the friend of sinners. That's the, what's levied against him all the time by the Pharisees, right? He's the friend of sinners. He eats with tax collectors and prostitutes. And worst of all, here we see him going to the Samaritans. He's going to bring good news to them. He's about to teach in this little town. Well, that doesn't make sense, but when you understand Jesus' mission of mercy, it makes perfect sense. He's bringing the gospel to the outcast. So we pick back up in verse 53. It says, But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. Now it's interesting, this is the only negative account of Samaritans in the gospel of Luke. 
In the next chapter, Jesus is going to tell a pretty memorable parable about a Samaritan. And the Samaritan is the hero. The Samaritan is the good guy. The Samaritan is the one who actually embodies neighborly love and compassion. And then in chapter 17, Jesus is going to heal a bunch of lepers. And guess where those lepers are from? Samaria. And one of the Samaritan lepers returns to Jesus after he's been healed, and he thanks Jesus because of the miracle that he experienced. But here, the Samaritans do not receive Jesus. They could tell that Jesus wasn't going to them. He was actually going to Jerusalem. I don't know what it was. Maybe the disciples kind of let it slip. Oops. Right? So the Samaritans, they turn against Jesus and his disciples. They refuse to receive him. And this wasn't just because it's Jesus. This is how they would treat any Jews. In fact, it was really dangerous for Jews to go through Samaria. Sometimes they would be accosted. They'd be beaten up. They would even be killed as they went through Samaria. Josephus tells stories of that. They, re they reject Jesus. Instead of showing him hospitality, they show him hostility. They're opposing Jesus. And we see this all throughout the section on the journey to Jerusalem, the opposition that's growing against Jesus. The Jewish leadership, they oppose Jesus, right? They want to kill him. And we see the Gentiles, even though Jesus casts out a demon, a demon from a demon-possessed man in the region of the Gentiles, they turn against him and they say, hey, can you leave? And the Samaritans here, they've rejected Jesus as well. The way to Jerusalem, the way of the cross, the way of Jesus is characterized by rejection. That's the way that Jesus is going. So then in verse 54, and when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? This is the most memorable part, probably, of this passage. Like, what is going on? So we're going to answer two questions. Why, why are James and John, first of all, so angry? And then why do they think this is a good idea? When I was meeting with the staff, that was the one thing. We're like, why, why is this what they immediately think? Oh, we're going to do that. So I had to figure out that this week. So James and John, they're angry. They want to bring judgment against the Samaritans because the Samaritans have insulted Jesus. Jesus is their master. They, they just said Jesus is the Messiah. And this is how the Samaritans are going to treat him? So it's actually, you know, James and John get it. They understand who Jesus is and what this means for the Samaritans to reject them. You know, they, they probably already have resentment toward the Samaritans because of that Jew-Samaritan thing, but now they've insulted their master. So they, they want to take revenge. They think now is the time for judgment. Okay, you've rejected the Savior, now's judgment. So they ask if they can call down fire from heaven. I thought about, thought about it this way. That, that escalated kind of quickly, right? I mean, that really got out of hand. But the, the idea, right, is that they want to get revenge because they think judgment is appropriate for these Samaritans who've rejected Jesus. You know, Recently, there's been this up-and-coming female singer named Taylor Swift who she's kind of become famous because she started dating this superstar Kansas City Chief tight end named Travis Kelsey. And so, I, I promise, if you watch a, a game for the Kansas City Chiefs, they show Taylor Swift like 78 times. You could count them. It's a lot. And my kids are watching and they're like, you know, we love watching football in my house. I'm not a Chiefs fan, but my kids like to jump on a bandwagon, so they're Chiefs fans all of a sudden. And they ask, like, who is Taylor Swift? Who is this girl that they keep showing on the screen? And so my wife, Mary, she was like, let's, let's show them a little, like, musical tour about Taylor Swift. And so we listened to probably, like, 
a dozen songs. They watch like music videos, they listen to them on the Alexa, and the one song that they like latched onto was Bad Blood. That song is pretty rocking. And you know, it's about, if you aren't familiar with Taylor Swift, you know, it's about how she was double-crossed, and so now she's gonna get revenge on this uh, other singer who double-crossed her. And she gets all of her posse, all of her friends together, and they like walk through, and there's like flames and explosions, and it's pretty intense. My kids loved it. So you can come to our parenting class that we'll be having later this semester <laughs> on what, what not to do. Um, but isn't that, isn't that just like us? When people wrong us or wrong somebody that's close to us, we want to get them back. We want to hold on to that grudge and get that revenge. You know, we, we, we latch on to that same thing. That's why that song is so popular, right? But it shows what's in our hearts. I love Taylor Swift, don't worry. Um, but they ask for fire to come down from heaven and consume the Samaritans. Why? Why is that even like, why don't they just say like, hey, can we like beat them up or something? Why do they think that? Well, this is why. Just about 15 verses ago, James, John, and Peter went up with Jesus on a mountain. And who did they see there? They saw Moses and Elijah. And Elijah was the great prophet in the Old Testament who actually ministered in Samaria. And one time, when Elijah was just hanging out. The king of the, of the northern kingdom of Israel, he sent a posse of 50 men to go grab Elijah, and they're going to bring him back and probably kill him. So Elijah is sitting there, and he, fire comes down from heaven and burns up that troop of soldiers. 50 men just poof. So the king sends another 50 men. Fire again comes down from heaven, burns them up. God is protecting his prophet. God is... is it knows, like, Elijah's being threatened, and so God's protecting him. And then a, a, a third troop comes, and the captain is like, hey, Elijah, can you please not do that? Have mercy on us. Spare our lives. And Elijah does, and he goes with them, which is pretty fascinating. So in this same area, Elijah was sitting there, and fire came down because somebody was threatening and insulting God's prophet. And so James and John, knowing their, their Old Testament, knowing 2 Kings 1, they think, well, this is the Messiah. These people have rejected the Messiah. Surely God will punish them in the same way that God punished those, those people. The, the Samaritans are descendants of those same people. Surely God will punish them just like that. Now, was there, what's interesting about the reaction to the Samaritans, right, is that they, they see them as enemies. They resent them already. But if we look at our own hearts, are we so different? Are, are we so different from Taylor Swift where we have bad blood when somebody wrongs us or when somebody wrongs, even worse, somebody wrongs our Messiah, wrongs Jesus? I think about when people reject Jesus, how do we view them? Do we view them as the other person, the other group, that group that deserves judgment? And so we withdraw from them. We pull away from them. We even talk badly about them. We might blog badly about them on Facebook or whatever. Even today, we can make the lost our enemies and think that they deserve judgment. And we treat them that way because we don't treat them with mercy and compassion, but we, we judge them and we separate from them and make them other. We think that they are too far gone, that there's no hope for them, so now's the time for judgment. But I love Jesus' response. Look at verse 55 again. And he turned 
and rebuked them. Nice, short and sweet, right? This terse, terse way he puts it, right? He turns and rebukes them. You can picture it, right? Jesus is walking along. He hears the disciples say that, and he just turns around. He whips around real quick, and he rebukes them for what they said. You know, it'd be interesting to know the words that Jesus spoke to them in this rebuke. You know, did he say, like, were you guys not listening, like, literally two chapters ago when I said, love your enemies, do good to those who persecute you, pray for those who mistreat you, be merciful just as your heavenly Father is merciful. Did you guys miss that? Is that what Jesus said? You know, it's, it's funny that that's the kind of the natural thing we want to know because that's actually what Christians in, in early Christianity want to know too because in this verse, if you look at, uh, like if you have the NASB version or the King James or even in your ESV text note, there's a little note because right here there are some manuscripts where it's evident that a scribe asked that same question. I wonder what Jesus said here. And they kind of filled it in. This is what they wrote. You do not know the manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man came not to destroy people's lives, but to save them. Now that shouldn't be in the text, right? It's pretty clear that a scribe said, oh, in a, in a few chapters, in chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus talks about how he came to seek and to save the lost. So we're going to kind of copy, paste that over here because it makes sense. The scribe had the right idea, but we don't want to add to Scripture. But it, it really does help illuminate what's going on here, the, the rebuke that Jesus would have had for them. Because this whole journey to Jerusalem culminates in chapter 19, verse 10. It's the pinnacle of this section where Jesus says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It's not the time of judgment. It's the time of mercy. It's the time of salvation. There will be judgment. Jesus is going to warn the Pharisees. He's going to warn the Jewish people over and over about that judgment that is to come. But now, now is the day of salvation. Now is the day of mercy, the day of grace. He is on his journey to accomplish that salvation. He is going to the cross, going to Jerusalem so that people can be saved. I have not come to save them, but destroy him. That is the heart. Sorry, not I've come to destroy them, but to save them. That is the heart of Jesus. In reading this passage, I was reminded of a, a really powerful section in the book, The Fellowship of the Ring. There's also a movie that's kind of famous based on that, but I'll pretend that I went and looked this up in the book. Frodo Baggins, he's this little hobbit, right, who's been in, entrusted with taking the ring of power and destroying it, right? The, and he's on this mission with his fellowship, eight other people, right, going to destroy this ring. But he discovers that Gollum, this wicked, evil, like slimy creature, has been following them. And he turns to Gandalf and he kind of whines, as Frodo does. He moans, and this is what he says. He says, it's a pity Bilbo, his uncle, didn't kill Gollum when he had the chance. And Gandalf, this wise wizard, he rebukes Frodo, and this is what he says. Pity. Pity is what stayed Bilbo's hand. Many that live deserve death, and some that die deserve life. Can you give it to them? Do not be too eager to deal out death and judgment. Gandalf then told Frodo that he believed Gollum still played a special role in the story. That the pity of Bilbo would actually rule the fate of men. And that's what we see in our story today, which is fascinating, right? They, if you look at verse 56, it just says, and they went to another village. They continued on their journey. 
it's obvious that Jesus' followers need some more instruction. They need to learn what it looks like to be his disciples. They need to learn what his ministry and his mission is about. That it's about mercy and salvation that he's bringing. And he's going to take them on a journey. And we're going to go on that journey with them. Because he's on the way to the cross. He's on the mission of mercy. And he came to seek and to save the lost. What's really great about this is remember that the Gospel of Luke is actually the first book of a two-book series, right? Luke and then the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, when Jesus is about to ascend, right, when he's about to be taken up, what is the last thing that Jesus tells his disciples? Look at Acts 1, verse 8. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. You probably know this one. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus explicitly tells his disciples, you are going to go back to Samaria and take the gospel to them. He could have left out Samaria, you know, all the ends of the earth, that kind of includes Samaria. But he wants them to know, you're going to return to the place that you wanted to call fire and judgment down upon. And you're going to bring the gospel to them instead. And they do. In Acts chapter 8, verse 12, but when they they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. It's possible that some of the very same people that James and John wanted to condemn become early Christians in the book of Acts. Now is the time for mercy. Now is the time for compassion. And Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem because he was going to accomplish that salvation. He was going to save the Samaritans. He was going to save his enemies. He would even go to save us. That is the gospel. That is the good news of our passage today. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you for this powerful display of the the resolve of your son to accomplish all that you have given him. We thank you that he went all the way to the cross to bear our sins, to suffer and to die in our place so that we could be called the sons and daughters of God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.